Welcome to the Think Podcast, the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective with your host, Joel Sedekes. And now get ready to think. Welcome to the Think Podcast with Joel Sedekes. I'm Joel Sedekes, and this is the show where we tackle impossible questions from a biblical perspective to help you explain, share, and defend the Christian message. All right, pop quiz. Let's see how good your definitions are. What is marriage? Okay, how do you define love or hate? Or how about equality or justice or tolerance? What about something as simple as male and female? Well, it's not quite so simple anymore, is it? These are all words that have been defined and redefined or or are in the process of being redefined over the last several years. These words have been the victims of linguistic theft. What is linguistic theft? Well, according to my guest today, it is the practice of purposefully hijacking words, changing their definitions, and then using those same words as tools of propaganda. Sounds very nefarious, and I assure you, it is nefarious. My guest today is Hillary Morgan Ferrer, and she's going to tell us all about this practice of linguistic theft, why it's a threat to the truth, and how to fight back against it. Hillary is the founder of Mama, founder and Mama Bear in chief of Mama Bear Apologetics. She's the co-author and general editor of Mama Bear Apologetics, Empowering Your Kids to Challenge Cultural Lies, published by Harvest House in 2019. She earned her master's in biology from Clemson and is currently working on another master's in apologetics from Biola University. She and her husband, John, have been married for 13 years and they ministered together as an apologetics dream team. Learn more about Hillary and Mama Bear Apologetics at her website, Mama Bear Apologetics. But instead of sitting here listening to me talking about Hillary, let's hear about Hillary and her ideas from Hillary herself. So Hillary Morgan Ferrer, welcome to the Think Podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. I am so excited about today's interview not just for my own sake, but because my wife, Elisa, has been looking forward to this probably more than any other interview (laughs) we've ever done. So thank you so much for coming on. And let's just start by, by way of introduction. Hillary, what is your story? How did you get into apologetics? Yeah. So, um, I always thought that I had a boring testimony because I I honestly don't remember a time when I wasn't walking with the Lord. I felt a strong sense of God's presence since I was really young. I knew that this is um, basically my, my, my wagon was hitched to him from day one. And I would love to say I remember this time when, you know, I made a decision, but I honestly don't. I kind of, it's one of those things where it's like, I, I knew I felt called, um, even as young as five and six, I didn't know towards what, but uh, I just, I just knew that he had my number. And <laughs> um, so, but I, I was just kind of traditional church kid. I love the Lord. I, I wanted so badly to give my all to him that I remember telling my mom that I wanted to be a nun. And she had to explain to me, sweetie, only Catholics are nuns. <laughs> um, and so um, as I got older, you know, I did, I did Awanas, I did youth group, all that stuff, but it wasn't until probably probably around my eighth grade year that my pastor who had been a former atheist and the way he be, he became a Christian was he had decided I, I need to 
put a you know nail in the coffin of this whole Christianity thing once and for all. And that's how he became a Christian, real similar story to you know Lee Strobel and uh, C.S. Lewis. And so he did a series on liar, Lord, lunatic on basically who was Christ? Is he Lord or is he a liar? Does he does he think he's God and he's not and he's telling people he is? Is he a liar? Uh, does he actually think he's God and he's not? Is he lunatic or is he actually Lord? And of course, now nowadays we would have a fourth category, which would be legend. Um, so he went through that and I was riveted of like, oh my gosh, this is something that I can actually think about. Uh, and then later he went through evidences for the resurrection where he basically went through every single alternate theory that had been proposed by skeptics from, you know, at the beginning on. And it made so much sense about like, well, yeah, they could say that, but then it has this, this, and this problem. And you realize that coming to the conclusion of the resurrection actually happening historically actually had what I call is like, you know, kind of everything opens up a can of worms and you kind of go for the thing that opens up the fewest can of worms. <laughs> um, and I was like, that one actually makes the most sense. And so I think that since I had grown up in a Christian environment, I did not know how to talk to non-Christians sometimes because all my talk was seasoned with the Lord this and the Lord that. And th if I didn't have that in common with you, I, I kind of didn't know how to converse. And so this gave me a way to actually talk to people who are not believers where we could talk about the ideas without um, assuming that either of the of the other already agreed with what you were saying, but it, it led to a lot of really fruitful conversation. And I kind of attribute that to um, why I stayed firm in my faith is because I got to the point where I thought, oh my gosh, I would have to check my brain at the door in order to stay, in order to, to walk away from the faith. And that was something I was not prepared to do. I was against anything that was irrational. Uh, anything that, uh, yeah, basically irrationality. I just have like almost physical reaction to that. Things need to be rational to me. <laughs> um, and so when I was given a reasonable, rational faith, it doesn't matter how many things that I went through in my life. I've gone through a lot of suffering in my life um, uh, between cancer and my sister's cancer, my mom's cancer, chronic kidney disease, childlessness, you name it. Um, that it would be very easy to just shake your fist at the Lord and say, you know, this isn't living my best life now. And, you know, Hillary out. Um, but that was never an option. And it was because this idea of believing that Christianity was true and how I felt were never in competition to each other. It's not like because I felt a different way that might have, you know, be a knock against Christianity. That was, that was, they never even overlapped for me. And I really attribute that to being exposed to strong answers and to strong just logical and critical thinking at a young age to where um yeah i think if we're exposed to faith as it as this feeling and this experience we can wreck our face so badly um because experience and emotions i mean they're going to be all over the place but i think i got a firm foundation from the beginning and so i'm really thankful for that that is that is amazing to hear and my story is very similar I, I can relate when i was uh when i was 15 i had something of a crisis of faith and i had a great youth pastor and a great you know youth worker staff and they had really trained us in apologetics uh, you know they didn't go super in depth but i knew enough at the time to know like you said i'd have to really check my brain at the door to leave the faith which is so cool to hear you say that hillary because how many people have the exact opposite understanding Yes. I think the faith flies in the face of rationality. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think that people have a tendency to, uh, especially people that go into ministry, I think have a tendency to go into ministry for the things that bolstered their faith. The people who maybe got 
saved by someone constantly evangelizing to them that they're they're evangelists. That's how that's how we need to save everyone. Um, I think that as as a thinker, as someone who really just the the thought process, the logic, the philosophy behind it, because that grounded me so much. I feel like that's kind of the sphere the Lord has brought me into because it's like I understand the impact of um, on someone's faith. So I think, you know, one of the things that sometimes people can pit like evangelism versus apologetics versus discipleship as if these are all competing ideas. And it's like these all work together, but it's OK to have our own sphere as long as we're not neglecting or we're not downplaying the other ones. But, um, yeah, so I think that this is the way I minister because this is the way I was ministered to. Um, and I think that's very important for people to, to realize that there are people like me, that this is how they're ministered to. And even if that's not how you've been ministered to in the past, you have to realize that there are people like this that exist a lot, quite a lot, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, if you're, if you're just tuning in, my guest today is Hillary Morgan Ferrer of Mama Bear Apologetics. And if you are watching this live via Facebook or YouTube, please go ahead and drop a comment or a question in the uh, in the section below and we're going to take some time and answer those later in a few minutes in real time and so go ahead and drop a comment drop a question hey even if it's just an encouraging word you know hillary love what you're doing something like that believe me we all need to hear those encouraging words and uh even even folks who are tough as nails like the mama bears, because, uh, you know, we all need that encouragement. Although I will say, if you want to see tough as nails, go to the mama bear apologetics.com website and right on the front of the website, it says something, I'm going to misquote it, but it says something like, if you mess with our kids, we will destroy your arguments or something. Like that. <laughs> and I love that. Um, that's with our kids and we will demolish your arguments. It's totally it. difficult. There, There is a scripture that says we demolish every argument raised against the knowledge of God. So we do not demolish people. We demolish arguments and grace and love and truth. <laughs> Amen. And we're going to demolish some arguments this morning or this afternoon, rather. And um, we are talking today about the, the question, why does our culture keep redefining words and how mm -hmm. do we fight back? So... Hillary, what do believers need to understand about the concept of linguistic theft? What is it? And uh, what do we need to understand about it? Before we get into the specific examples, just what yep. is linguistic theft? So first off, we need to distinguish between the difference between evolution of language and linguistic theft. So um, I had mentioned in the Mama Bear book at one point that if you really want to see the definition of something, find a dictionary from like the 1950s or 1960s. Well, I just happened to come across one of those <laughs> one of those dictionaries on my own bookshelf that my dad had had from when he was a boy. And I just decided to start flipping through and seeing some of the words that I had mentioned in the Mama Bear book, like tolerance and bigot. And lo and behold, I was dying laughing. I was like, I need to take a picture of this and post it. Uh, the first definition for bigot was a man with a mustache. <laughs> no way. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm so tempted just to like, you know, John and I kind of joke, we see a guy with a mustache. We're like, oh, what a bigot. <laughs> um, just that would be that would be an evolution of language where, you know, it's just this is the way they used to use it. They don't really use it that way anymore. And that's that's pretty innocuous. And that's just going to happen just, you know, as society changes. Linguistic theft on the other hand, plays on this idea that we all have, it actually plays on the idea that the law of God is written in our hearts. 
Um, this idea that we know that love is good and hate is bad. We know that tolerance is good. We know compassion is good. We know that um, equality is good. We know that justice is good. I mean, if we could count the number of passages that talk about justice, our God is a God of justice. And so basically what they're doing is they're um, taking words that everybody knows and then changing the definition. So one of the things that I talked about with uh, my podcast co-host, she and I went over some of the questions is you have two different ways that language can change. You can either have a word um, that has the same referent. The referent is whatever this is in reality that it's referring to. So like, for example, strollers are now called strollers. Back in the 1800s, they were called perambulators and then just prams. And then what was the third one? Um, buggies and now strollers. So that all has the same reference point. The referent would be this little thing that you put a baby in that you can walk and push. That's the same referent. And the word for that has changed. Now, something else would be where you actually change the referent, where I'm still using the word, but I'm actually referring to something else. Um, so one, <laughs> John's gonna hate me for this. One of the things that drives me nuts about in like the real heady philosophy stuff is they have a tendency to take words that everybody knows and then just change the definition. Um, like I remember when I was studying something and I was going through the, the word like in the, um, what was it called? Uh, it's the logic where it's it's written out almost like math and they use the equal sign, but the equal sign yeah. does not mean that these two things are equal. Right. And I'm like, well, why use the word equal if it doesn't mean that they're equal? It's like you're taking a word that everybody knows and you're actually changing the definition about it. So I'm just gonna call philosophy out and <laughs> say they're bad about this. Y'all just need to create new words if you had something new. <laughs> yeah, the formal. Um, but so now what we have is the referent being changed. So think about the concept of love, what the concept of love used to be. And the concept of love is very biblical. It's all throughout scripture. If we, I mean, if we miss the concept of love in the Bible, we have missed the Bible. But now we have the referent changing that love used to be uh, to willing the good of another, which relies on what other definition? The definition of good. Um, so willing the good of another and love is turned into this thing that whatever makes someone the most comfortable or whatever, um, just uh, they're allowed to kind of have whatever ideas they want. And you just that's their truth. Then you don't push past their truth. Um, I look at the concept of love and I think whenever we're trying to work with someone on words that are actually changing the definition, we need to look at does can I think of an example where your definition doesn't apply? So the idea of love being whatever is, um, you know, just kind and uh, doesn't push someone past where they're uncomfortable. Um, I would like to bring uh, to light a TV show that I kind of like watching just because I think it has a lot of really interesting psychological stuff. And that is the show Hoarders. Have you ever seen that? Uh, I've seen some of it. Uh, I, I can only watch a little bit of it. And, yeah, the, uh, it's, it's the same way. Yeah, my my uh, my wife Elisa was a professional organizer, and ah. she she worked with some folks who had some of those tendencies, and and she'll tell you it's it's uh, well you can watch the show. It's there's a lot of there's a lot of emotional uh, attachment to that that stuff, and it's it's very difficult to see. Yeah. By the way, uh, Hillary, just real quick. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm going through a different mic right now. Does my does my sound sound any better? We were getting some complaints. Yes, about it that. sounds better. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, mm -hmm. great. Okay, so please um, continue. So again, this idea of love being what makes someone most comfortable, co most comfortable with what they consider normal, 
if that was our definition of love, then basically the the show hoarders is all people being hateful and right. enforcing their hate on someone else. Right. What it is is saying, wow, I love you. And I see that this is really unhealthy. And the thing that you're clinging to is actually bringing you bondage. And I want to help free you from that bondage. And even though you're going to hate me right now, even though it's really uncomfortable, this is all you've ever known. This is how you feel comfortable. This is literally how you feel safe um, and valued is the stuff around you. I'm going to rip that away because this is not healthy. Um, that is willing the good of another. Um, but the new definition of language turns that whole process into a very hateful process. So again, there's these words that, uh, you know, that we all are familiar with, love, justice, uh, oppression, all these things. We have an instinctive reaction to them. But when you change the referent to where you're meaning something else by the word oppression, you're meaning something else by the word love, something else by the word hate, equality, all those things, you can actually take the very words of scripture and justify any agenda that you want to. And that should be concerning. Yeah. And um, so, so if I understand you correctly, then linguistic theft is, this is, this is an intentional thing. It's intentional. Right? It's very intentional. So when I, I posted this video uh, in this discussion group that I'm a part of, it's uh, maybe you're familiar with it. It's called the unbelievable group. Um, mm -hmm. the, Justin the, Brierley. Justin Brierley. Yeah. Mm -hmm. His Facebook group. Yeah. And, uh, and Justin Brierley is great. He's, he's been on this show actually his Facebook group is, um, well, it's, it's filled with folks who disagree with you and I, and, uh, we'll just put it that way, put it to put it nicely. And uh, so every time I, I put something out there, I always get pushed back. And this was the immediate pushback that I got when I posted, uh, this, the, uh, the preview of this video, Hey, language changes over time. Get used to it. This is a normal thing. This mm -hmm. is this is just this inevitable thing. Really, it's the implication is that this is an innocent, harmless thing that just happens. Um, can you can you be? Uh, yes, rules for radicals. I've, I've got my copy behind this. Okay. okay let's please, talk about let's talk about, talk about some of the the, the uh, ends justifying the means. Okay, so, so for those who are listening to the audio only later on, Hillary just held a copy of Saul Alinsky's book rules for radicals and uh and so now she's going to explain why she held that up and how that plays into this yep um so he goes through something called the ethics of means and ends and so the ethics of means and ends has this connotation of the ends justify the means and so this is literally a playbook with how to get an agenda across while getting everybody on your side and uh, let me find the one that um that always stands out to me the once okay here's the tenth rule the 10th rule of the ethics of means and ends is that you do what you can with what you have and you clothe it in moral arguments. So when you're clothing something in moral arguments, basically that's saying that we're going to take the morality that people already agree with. Again, love, justice, oppression, uh, equality, all of these things. And whatever we're doing, we have to find a way to clothe it in moral arguments. And what happens when you do that is you take those words that everybody uh, agrees on and you change the definition so you can say, it's like if there is any discrepancy anywhere, then that is injustice and it is inequality because people already agree that injustice and equality are bad things. Um, and so this, I, I want, I think Amy and I are gonna go through this on the podcast because I think, um, uh, 
it's so important. It, it really does talk about, um, so the ninth rule of ethics and means is that any effective means is automatically judged by the opposition as being unethical. So what you're not now doing is not only you're putting these moral language to what you're doing, you're actually going to include anti-moral language with, the, with what the opposition is doing. So, for example, we see this in the abortion debate that they are pro-choice. And I think that word pro-choice right. is like, you know what? No one's fighting over the choice whether or not to wear their seatbelts, whether or not they have to wear a helmet when they are uh, or, hey, how about wearing masks? No one's fighting about that choice. They're fighting about the choice right. to suck, scald or scrape a living baby from a woman's uterus and dispose of it. That's the choice they're talking about. But the idea of choice goes back to just the concept of free will that we have within scripture, that free will is, I mean, probably one of the ultimate goods that God did. Free will mattered to God so much that he gave us the option to choose evil. Uh, because in order to have a true loving relationship, you have to have free will. So this concept of free will and choice is probably one of the highest goods that um, uh, that the Lord talks about in scripture. So if we can take that high good and turn it towards now, when we say choice, we're talking about the choice to murder an unborn baby. Um, that That's really different. <laughs> that's uh, like in, in the mama bear book, we talk um, about some of the tactics, how you know when this is going on. Um, is uh, this idea of it blurs the details. How blurred are the details when someone says pro-choice? Choice of what? Choice to choose what dinner I eat? Choice to, you know, what, what exactly are we talking about? When you can't really tell at face value what it's talking about, um, that's a problem. And that's probably when you have some linguistic theft going on. Um, and also kind of what we just said with the making the opposite side unethical. This would be vilifying the opposing viewpoint. So now instead of, you know, pro-lifers are saying, oh, we're pro-life, um, that they're being referred to as anti-choice as if, boo, we all hate choice. We want to be robots and told what to do. Um, if you can vilify the opposing viewpoint, then basically you can win an argument using linguistic theft, hands down. And the problem that I see going on with this is that, um, well, I, I would say our young people, but I think it's beyond our young people. I think that's everybody who's just kind of assumed that words matter and words mean something. Um, when our young people are told, this is the definition of equality and justice. Your Bible says that your God is a God of justice. Therefore, you need to do this. They are actually thinking that they're following scripture while following a secular agenda. And so it is really hard to get someone to repent when they think they're following scripture and we think they're doing the right thing. Uh, similarly, your 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 Bible says love. It emphasizes everywhere. This is what love means. Why aren't you being loving? Why are you hating? Your Bible says not to do that. Why are you not being a real Christian? What do you think a 10 year old is going to say to that? They're going to say, oh, I, I do need to be loving. I've been told Jesus is love and they will change everything they do to fit this this definition that's being given to them all because they're trying to follow Christ it is this right. pure, beautiful motive. Right. And and the the twisting of that is so diabolical mm -hmm. because and it makes me think of that. The passage where Jesus says, I think it's in Mark eight, where he says. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better to have a millstone tied around his throat and to be cast down into the sea. And that's Hillary. Is that what's going on with this linguistic theft where we're redefining words? I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. Leading Christians, leading innocent, you know, children 
astray. Yeah. Is that what's happening? I do. And I think I think back, I like that you pointed out that passage. This is really the only place in scripture where the Lord's like, you would be better off dead. Because you think about mm-hmm. when um, when uh, they were about to destroy Sodom and Abraham was saying, well, what about if there's 50 righteous people? What about if there was 30 righteous people? What about if there's 20? What if there was 10? And the Lord kept saying, for the sake of 10, you know, for the sake of 20, 30, 40, 50, I will not destroy the city. We have a God that values life. And yet when he says, if you're jacking with a child, <laughs> you are better off dead. I would say right. that that is like one of the strongest statements he can do. And yeah, yeah I do think that that is what is going on right now is, um, yeah, kids are kids are wanting to follow Christ and they're getting all the language right, but they're getting all the definitions wrong. And so they're actually going, what they say and what they're doing are two different def- uh, directions and they're not even aware of it. Yeah. And, you know, the one other passage that comes to my mind is when Jesus talks about the one who's going to betray him. And he says, the one who will betray me, it would be better for that one if, if he hadn't even been born. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so now we're, we're almost equating, although, uh, you know, you, you could even make the argument that being thrown down into the sea with a millstone around your neck is, is an even more violent um, uh, word picture there. So, you know, we're leading a, a young believer astray is at least on par with, betraying Christ. And he takes that very seriously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he does. So well, you mentioned love, you mentioned justice. What are some of the other words that are being <laughs> stolen and how is this playing out in our current discourse? So I wanted to talk a little bit about the ones that are in, I'll talk real briefly about the ones that are in the book, but you can get the book, the mama bear apologetics, empowering your kids to challenge cultural yes. lies chapter four. Um, so the ones we talk about in the book are um, love, truth, tolerance, justice, equality, bigot, and authentic. So if you want to check those out, um, that would be great. What I would like to do is talk about some of the ones that I didn't think of back when I was first writing this chapter that I'm seeing as being massively linguistically thefted right now. Um, and that is Jesus, gospel, flourishing, and violence. Ooh, okay. Let's go. Uh, yeah. So like I, my, I love what my pastor used to say when I was growing up, um, the people portray Jesus as this mild mannered man telling other mild mannered men to be more mild mannered. <laughs> right, <laughs> and right. that was always like, yeah, you know, that's, that's not really the Jesus of the Bible um, or of the gospel. Um, this goes along with what is known as uh, therapeutic moralistic deism, where it's this idea of therapeutic, meaning it's like God is like a therapist. He's here to make me, you know, okay with who I am moralistic. He wants me to basically be a good person. And then deism um, means that you have a God, but he's not really all that involved. So it's like, basically, we have this therapy God who wants us to be our best selves. And but for the most part, stays out of things. That is kind of what we have going on with Jesus. Like, uh, we have people defining Jesus as um, the uh, beyond going lover of sinners, it's lover of sin, an acceptor of sin. And this idea that, you know, oh, Jesus doesn't judge if okay so he did not come the first time to judge but if you think jesus is not a judge i'm just telling you right now you are not going to recognize him when he comes the second time right and it wasn't that jesus who said all those statements about woe to you pharisees hypocrites Mm -hmm. there's there's some strong judgmental language in there yeah but okay so what they would point out with that is the people that he's always going after with the really strong language are the religious people not the sinners and so um but it's like you never see him leaving a sinner and and trying to make them feel better about their sin okay this is where i think we have a problem 
is this idea that we've gotten rid of this idea of sin being sin. So um, when Jesus entered in the house of sinners, they already knew where he stood on things. And so what they were able to see was this is a person who treats me with dignity, respect and love despite disagreeing with me because I already know what he believes. What we have now is we've changed it to, I accept, affirm and love everything that you choose to do. And so when we treat with dignity and respect and love, some people are interpreting that as affirming those sins. Um, instead of knowing where we stand and seeing how we treat despite disagreements. So those those are worlds apart. And that's one of the things that we see going on. I forgot where we were going. What was the original question? Um, well, what are the words being stolen? Oh, and, yes. Um, so Jesus, Jesus is yes. I just think that people just define him however they want. Here's a, there's a book um, that I'm reading for a book that I'm writing right now that um, I'm trying to read both sides of the equation. This is it, it's called Shameless by Nadia Boltz Weber. Uh -huh. Um, and she is affirming of everything, uh, sexual basically. In fact, her definition of holy, I kid you not, her definition of holy is, um, to have a, um, uh, intimate embrace between two Christ followers. Good Doesn't grief. matter who they are. You um, know, she's, she's the one who recently, if you, if you look her up, she, um, had all the ladies send in their purity rings. And the golden vagina. Yeah. Yeah. I had them <laughs> fashioned into that. It's like, well, yeah, that's, that's. Thank, thanks for revealing where you're, where you stand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so when I, when I read that book, it's interesting because she is so passionate about Jesus. She is so passionate about Jesus. Yes, exactly. Uh, that I'm sitting there in the way she worships and the way she it's, it's actually really confusing. Cause I'm like, well, part of this sounds genuine. It's like the question I would like to ask her and I doubt I'll ever get the op opportunity is if you were to find out that Jesus did condemn these things and he was going to judge those things, would you still follow him? Hmm. Um, Cause that to me would, would solve it up. It's like, sometimes you have people off the rails because they're just legitimately confused. And sometimes it's just full on rebellious. And I'm not totally sure I'm kind of leaning towards rebellious with her, but um, uh, yeah. So anyway, people make Jesus into whatever they want, whatever is going to make them feel good. And so I think that is probably one of the most linguistically thefted words and identities that we've got going on right now. Um, moving on is the gospel. This is very, very similar. So for an example, there was a well-known women's ministry who <clears throat> got a new CEO and started going very progressive, shall we say. They stopped using the word sin, would not use the word sin anymore. Everything was messy you know, because the wages of being messy is death, you know, right, that, that escalated right. quickly. Um, but um, when she finally defined gospel, it was something along the lines of friends when you are sick, food when your baby is sick, and um, help around the house. Or I can't remember what the third one was, um, you know, friends when you're lonely. And I'm thinking, if that's the gospel, who's rejecting this gospel? Like, why did Jesus get crucified if he was there to proclaim friends when you're hungry, uh, you know, friends when you're lonely and food when you're sick and food when your baby's sick? Um, so just this idea of gospel, because what we hear people say, just preach the gospel, just preach the gospel. And that is absolutely important as long as you're correctly identifying the gospel. But what we have is a whole generation of people claiming to preach the gospel. And we can say, right on you're right the gospel changes but they're meaning something very different um wow. so that would be the next one and then i'll skip some of the other ones i'm just going to go straight to violence <laughs> in okay. fact i wrote out some thoughts on this yeah um we have turned the concept of violence into almost anything 
Um, so if words are violence, so words of being defined as violence, you use violent words against me. That's violence against yeah, me. You hear that all the time. Oh yeah. If words are violence and punching someone in the face is violence, then if you say something someone doesn't like and they punch you back, then that is equal treatment. Right. Um, and we can go the same way with the concept of free speech. If well, burning, oh, sorry, keep going. No, no, I, I, sorry to interrupt, but uh, you're hearing now that even silence can be violence. Yes, yes. If in, in, I posted something on Twitter the other day. It's like, if silence is violence, then being ignorant is a hate crime. Like, mm. that's a problem. It's like, you know, for the women that are basically just trying to, like, keep these little humans alive um, and maybe get a shower every three days to be like, well, if you don't say something, that's violence. It's like, right. uh that's that's quite a burden to place on moms yeah. And, yeah and think of the implications of that like you said if violence can be met with violence then that means silence can be met with violence i mean think about the implications of that for society uh -huh. sorry i please please continue but i'm just I'm, I'm processing what you're saying and thinking about the implications here and it's it's really uh it's really uh intense but yep. please continue uh, so similarly we uh, we talk about the idea of what is free speech so if burning someone's business down is free speech then if you say something that they don't like and they burn your business down, you know what that is literally defined as, if that's free speech? A conversation. Oh, wow. <laughs> One person's right. given their free speech, another person's given their free speech, that's a conversation. But if we define free speech as being able to do actions like this, well, I'm saying my piece by burning your house down or doing whatever. I've even heard someone say that the uh, in the riots that it wasn't violence to burn stuff down because no one was actually laying a hand on somebody. Like unless you're punching them in the face, mm -hmm. it's not violence. And that you know the the burning and the looting that wasn't violence. And I'm like, mm, I've got some problems with that. So um, this is linguistic theft. This is linguistic theft. Exactly. Exactly. What is free speech? What is violence? Like violence used to be pretty you know obvious. Um, but it's not obvious, like literally common sense has become rocket science and I cannot stress that enough. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good quote. That's tweetable right there. Oh common my gosh. If I were going to write a book, sense. that's what I would call it. When common sense, of course, I'd probably have to like do a pseudo pen for that one. When common sense becomes rocket science. Right, right. Um, yeah. No, that's, that's, um, man, that's, that's scary. Uh, so where do you see, you, you've talked about how problematic this is. Um, at a, as a Christian looking at this, trying to operate out of a biblical worldview, Hillary, how does this fly in the face of the Christian worldview? Before we talk about how to fight back about uh, mm -hmm. back against this, as as believers, why should this strike us as deeply problematic? Um, a couple of different reasons. Um, so first off, I would say if we were to pick one subject in general that is a hot dumpster fire mess right now in society, that would be identity. Right. And I see two things that go into identity, truth and words, because uh, you cannot have a true identity, something being what it is and not something else, unless truth exists. And you can, cannot, you cannot convey identity without words. And so basically when you are starting to change language, you are changing identities. And if you don't have a correct identity, you can't have a correct identity of God and you can't have a correct identity of man. If you don't have a correct identity of God and man, you literally cannot have gospel because gospel is 
the relationship and reconciliation between God and man. If you change God and you change man, you change whatever that reconciliation looks like. This goes to the heart of everything, everything that we have going on right now. And it's just slipping in unawares because it's a little too much to think about. So this sounds like, like if I were the devil, if I were Satan, mm -hmm. this sounds like exactly the kind of play that I would make to try to redefine yes. these terms so that not only would it be difficult to embrace the gospel, it's already foolishness to those that are perishing according to first Corinthians mm -hmm. and, and uh, other, other passages, but literally I would try to make it so that folks couldn't even conceptualize the gospel Yes, because, because words and, and thought, like, as you said, words and truth are so inextricably linked. Mm -hmm. If you can't say the words, if that, if that is just removed from our language or redefined out of our language, you can't think the thoughts. Yes. But if you can't think the thoughts, you can't love God with all your mind. You can't, mm. you can't assent to the gospel. So, yeah. so do you see this as, is this, do you believe this is as nefarious as I'll even say satanic as it, as it seems, is this a play from the devil? What's oh, going on here? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is, and I think this really goes back to think about in, in, uh, John in the beginning was the word, the logos Christ himself mm -hmm. is based on this idea of words. So if you're Satan and you're trying to attack Christ, what are you going to attack? Words. Words. Yeah. Um, and I would also say that, uh, what we have going on with identity is he has waged a war against God for so long. And when you, um, basically have gone as far as you can waging war against God, the next best way to wage war against God is to wage war against God's image bearers. If you can distort the image bearers, then you can distort God. And so ultimately it comes, it still comes back to waging war against God. And it's just when you start seeing how all of these are, things are connected, the way words are connected, the way identity and truth and gospel and God and man, all these things are pivotal to be able to understand the entire story of redemption. If we get this wrong, we have undercut our ability um, to preach the word at all because words don't mean anything. Right. Or, or. You know, one of the things I, I appreciate, I'm about 75% of the way through Mama Bear Apologetics, the book right now. And um, as, a, as a Papa Bear, let me say, I, I appreciate it very much. Um, one of the things you say is, well, I, I think it's you. It might've been one of your co-authors who say we're we're now in a post-post-modern. Yep, that that <laughs> okay, I, I thought that was good. So we've, and I've, I've suspected this for a long time, Hillary, that this whole idea of, look, tolerance, or you know, radical tolerance, what some call totalitarian tolerance. Or, <laughs> Ooh, that's um, a good word. I like that. Is that good? I got that from Doug Wilson. I didn't. Yeah, nice. Um, or, um, or the idea that truth is relative. That what that and I've, I've like I said, I, I believe this for a while now. What that's that's not a permanent standpoint. That's really that's that's transitory. That's yeah. tra transitional. That's designed to break down the existing paradigm of truth in order to then trans. Uh, to, to transfer society, to transition society and um, replace the old paradigm with a new paradigm. You know, mm -hmm. it's this idea, this the old Hegelian idea of thesis, yes. antithesis, mm -hmm. synthesis, mm -hmm. right? So you've got thesis, there is absolute truth, and this is what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the old Judeo-Christian worldview. Then you've got antithesis, no, truth is relative. And then now, but but that, the goal of, in, of uh, bringing that in is really to just transition to 
you know what? Truth really isn't relative. Tr here's the new truth. And now this is where we're going to take the old words, mm -hmm. redefined, and we've already gotten you to disbelieve in the old paradigm of truth. So now we're going to fill in these words with new meaning. So now justice is not absolute justice as defined by God in the scriptures. Now justice is, I mean, you hear people chanting in these viral videos, justice is whatever we say it is. I mean, you can look that up. And that is a terrifying prospect. Can you imagine yeah. a society where just whoever screams the loudest gets to define what justice is? That's yeah. going to redefine all of scripture. Yes. So, so Hillary, how do we as believers standing on the biblical worldview fight mm -hmm. back against this while, and I, I love how you say this as well, we're dealing not, don't let anyone be taken captive. Don't let yourselves be taken captive. So we're not dealing with with villains, we're dealing with captives. Yes, Satan has taken them captive through this, through this, these, these, um, this false ideology. How mm -hmm. do we rescue people? The Bible says, "Whoever captivates souls is wise." Mm -hmm. How do we, as wise Christians, recapture and take back from Satan these souls who have been taken captive? Um, I think, Lynn, this is kind of abstract. I think understanding Stockholm syndrome is actually kind of important in this. So. Oh. Um, Stockholm syndrome is when someone has been taken captive by someone and they spend so much time with their captor that they start to empathize with them. Wow. Um, and so, and they'll even defend them uh, later because it's like, you know, everybody can, and can forge it. You're in close relationship with someone long enough, you're going to start empathizing. Um, and so we need to realize that that's basically what's happening with ideologies is that people have been taken captive by these ideologies, but they've started to associate associate with them so much that it becomes part of who their identity is. And so if we just go and, you know, like I said, lob out truth bombs and let the pieces fall where they may, um, we're going to be doing a lot of damage to people. And so what we have to do is we have to figure out a way to separate them from these ideas. So, so within Stockholm Syndrome, one of the things that they can do is find out well, what were you allowed to do? You know, how did they treat you? And you, they point out other things. Were you allowed to leave? No, you weren't allowed to leave. Do you think that's love is not letting someone um, be allowed to leave? And what they have to do is in order to get this person psychologically untethered from their captor, they have to slowly walk them through. Nope, that's not love. Nope, that's not friendship. Nope, that's not relationship. Um, and so I think we need to do the same thing with people's idea, um, ideas and where uh, instead of just coming in and saying, hey, this is the truth and, you know, the word of God will not return void. So um, asking questions is really important because people will internalize ideas that they think they came up with on their own. Um, and so this is where I would go back to. Um, uh, we, we have a series on Mama Bear Apologetics called Playground Apologetics uh, that talks about how to go. And it's basically going through Greg Kokel's tactics of asking questions of what do you mean by that? With linguistic theft, the number one thing you can do is ask someone to define it. So I, I, I think back to, uh, are you familiar with Sheologians? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, several years ago when she went to one of the women's marches. And you've got all these women holding up signs for patriarchy. And she's like, can you define the patriarchy for yeah. me? Where can I find them? I want Where to talk to it? them. Yeah. 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 And, and nobody could nobody could explain it. I think when, when you kind of hold people's feet to the fire and say, oh, okay, yeah. And, and you present yourself as, I, I'm, I am completely willing to agree with you because you're right. Oppression is wrong. You're right. Um, could you just tell me what, what do you mean by oppression? Um, what do you mean by inequality? What do you mean by justice? What do you mean by this? 
or in this situation, you know, I, I'm, I'm probably stupid on this one. Please help me understand how, uh, what is the injustice that's going on? Or, or one of the big ones that I remember seeing is there was a church in Florida. And I don't know if I'm like, just open up a big hornet's nest here, but there were uh, big fans of poking the hornet's nest. Okay. So let's go ahead. Me, let's go. Yeah. Let's, let's go whack it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, there were, it, it became this national thing of it's come to our attention that racism has creeped into our church and we were going to stand against this. We're not going to, we're not going to allow this. And I remember reading that and going, okay, this doesn't tell me what happened. Um, when I dug into it, it turns out that they were hiring a pastor uh, who was a man of color. And but he was very, very strong on critical theory and critical race theory. Um, and there were people who had uh, objections to this philosophy that were contacting other people in the church saying this is what he is teaching and this is how this is contrary to the gospel. What that was interpreted as we have racism in our church and we are not going to stand for it. So it's like being able to spot buzzwords. Oh, what do you mean by racism? Right. That's an important one to ask. And what about the situation was racist? If they cannot tell you, that's a problem. Um, or if they describe something, you're like, well, I don't know. That sounds like a political debate to me. That doesn't sound like a racist debate. Right. Um, getting people to actually own their ideas, I think is hugely important because they are, have you read the, the, the book Brave New World? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So they've got this Years thing. Ago, yeah. Yeah. They, John and I are rereading it right now, but it's got this thing called, Oh golly, it, whatever it's, it's stuff that they play in the kids sleep that, that later on right. it gets replayed. Um, yeah. it's stuff like, Oh, I'm so glad I'm not a gamma. Ooh, I don't like that color. I'm so glad I'm the, you know, whatever thing I am or the more stitches, the less riches. The, yes, that's stuff. right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, it's stuff like that. And so basically there, it's kind of repeating things that you've heard but you're not actually thinking critically about it. And so once you ask someone, oh, could you explain that situation? Some of the times you find out that they're like, well, no, I can't explain that. And, and even if you don't say, well, let me explain that for you, not, you know, not the best tactic, you at least leave them knowing, hey, why do I believe this? Why am I saying this? And it's kind of that pebble in the shoe. Yeah, uh, that's really good. Um, we, we just had a comment uh, from Donna Flenke saying, Jesus did a lot of question asking. <laughs> indeed that's, that's true. indeed he, jesus asked over 300 questions and only gave like three direct answers and mm -hmm. so, yeah no that's, if we don't count the sermon on the mount <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right um so in terms of everything that we've been talking about i, I think you addressed the the first objection i was going to throw your way was isn't language just always changing. I mean, this is just a natural process. I think, Hillary, I think you've dealt with that very well, but let's, let's, um, I'm going to throw an objection to you that you actually, I think addressed very well, but, uh, in, in the book, but I'd like to share this with our listeners. Aren't words just social constructs? <laughs> so if you want to say, you know, look, I say justice to mean what I mean. it, And, and you know what, maybe we need a new paradigm for justice. I mean, the old one clearly isn't working with all this injustice in the world. Yeah. So maybe, you know, if, if we get to define words, why is it such a problem if one group wants to assert a new or slightly modified definition that 
furthers a more beneficial and, and flourishing society. For folks. Yeah. And I know, <laughs> That's I know. funny. I had the word flourish on one of my, <laughs> another yeah. linguistic theft words. Okay. Um, I would say on that one in this, I don't know, I've never really hashed this out. So hopefully this comes out right. Um, people talk about different kinds of divine institutions, you know, marriage being a divine institution, government and church, all those things. I would, I would actually, and this isn't necessarily an institution per se, but if, if you can like have a little leeway here, I would say language is a divine institution. We see that number one, that the Lord's the one who originally gave us language. And what does he do at the Tower of Babel? People didn't evolve their different languages when he needed to basically break up. He's like, there is no evil that's going to be incapable for that they'll be incapable of we need to confuse them and he did that by changing their language we see the original confusion coming from a changing of languages and this isn't stuff that evolved this is stuff that was god given he created all these new languages and so we don't have an evolution of language in the sense of um uh this all came from nowhere i think this was god given and so we need to think about that that very carefully um, remind me of the original question. My, my, my Aren't again. words just a social construct? Why does oh. it matter if we change them? Yeah, right there. I would say that that's evidence that it's not a social construct. That it is, there is something divine about words. And this idea of being able to it, think about in Genesis, God speaking things into existence. The words mattered. Um, and uh, it talks about the tongue having the power of life and death and just uh, what what we do with our words. Words are so important in scripture. If we make words into whatever we want them to be, I mean, that's the same, that's what we talk about in the moral relativism chapter, that if you can make your rules, you can unmake them. And so um, when we're talking about reality, like if we want to be more descriptive or we, we want to be poetic, that's one thing. But if we're trying to accurately describe reality, it can't be a social construct. It has to be based on something objective something outside of ourselves. Now, the way we we refer to that is going to be through words, but this is something, if we're going to have any kind of unity, we need to be on the same page with language. That was how the Lord really originally basically got people to disperse in the first place is changing language. If we want unity, we have to have unity in language and we have to do it on biblical definitions. Yeah. And, you know, something just um, solidified in my mind here. It seems like linguistic theft is taking a word that hasn't evolved yet, that hasn't changed. And while everyone is still thinking of it in terms of its traditional or yes. longstanding meaning, reapplying it to a different reference intentionally. Yes. So it has, the, the whole point of linguistic theft is that these are words that haven't evolved. Yes. Correct? Because if, um, you know, if, uh, you know, in, in the old language, we might say uh, God is, God is um, awful or no, no. Uh, yeah. Awful or, or, or terrible, you know, terrible meaning like awesome, the way we might say awesome nowadays. Well, that's a word that's changed over time. But even the yeah. word awesome, if we say God is awesome, does that mean that God is awe-inspiring or does that mean God's really rad? You know, like, God's <laughs> really, you know, so even, so these are words that are changing over time. But when you intentionally take a word and just rip it off of its, uh, out of society and, and reapply it into a different context with a different reverend, mm -hmm. that's, that's the insidious nature of yeah. this. Is that, would you agree with that? I think you hit the nail on the head that linguistic theft relies, relies on people being unaware that the definition has changed. Oh, that's good. Wow. Okay. That's really clarifying. Because that's how you can get people on the same board with you with completely 
completely different things uh, Man, with completely yeah. different agenda is if they already think they know what you're talking about, but you're actually talking about something different, then you can say, hey, look at all these people who support us. And here's our mission statement values. We're here to disrupt the nuclear uh, Western prescribed family. Which, um, and yeah. that's what we mean by equality. But all the people that are chanting for equality, they have no idea that this is what is being promoted as equality, getting rid of the nuclear family. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that's, that's incredibly clarifying. So we did get a couple of comments. Uh, well, we got quite a few comments, but a few of them are specific questions for you. Okay. Is this, would you be willing to address them? Yeah. Okay. So we got a comment from Catalyzing Faith, which this is uh, someone who actually went, took a few courses with you. Okay. Uh, Lucas Giolis. Oh, Lucas. I love Lucas. Yes. So he says, Hillary, what are two or three words that aren't being changed yet, but Ooh. that you predict will be hijacked in the next five to 10 years? Ooh, that's see, I think we're seeing, I, I think we're seeing the beginnings of it. I'm trying to think of something that really hasn't been done. Um, of course, leave it to Lucas to give me something that's something. <laughs> right. Think of something off the top of your head. Um, oh, um, this one is just beginning, but um, uh, I think we're going to legally start seeing a lot of stuff going on with this is um, an actual definition of hate for hate crimes. Ooh. I think that we're going to have uh, legitimate. See, what we're going to have is we're going to have legitimate hate crimes bring in laws um, that uh, criminalize hate crimes. And everybody's going to say, rah, rah, we shouldn't have people doing those hateful things. However, now you have left it open for whoever wants to define what a hate crime is. Right. right. And um, I, I foresee a lot of legal problems happening for Christians and uh, coming soon because of this. And I, so I wouldn't say that this one hasn't been done yet. I would say we're seeing the cusp of it being done, but I think it's going to get way more crazy than we think it could possibly get. Yeah, I think that's a good one. I wonder if another one is, you mentioned Brave New World. Mm -hmm. I wonder if mom and dad are are on the cusp of that as well. That's a good point. And in fact, the, uh, I think that uh, you're already seeing that happen now is stuff like parental units or something like that uh, that are being used instead yeah. of, because you know, mom and dad assumes a man, man and a woman and that's oppressive and um, yeah. Um, yeah, we see that happening with male and female currently right now. I'm trying to think of other, like, I think I'm so overwhelmed with all the ones that are happening. I oh, just, like, yeah. I don't even think what's coming down, but I do think that, um, and this is something I'm very concerned about, especially with mama bear is that, uh, we are going to start, um, once we start getting hate crime laws passed, people can define that however they want. Yeah. And especially with the recent Bostock decision by the Supreme Court, which sort of um, solidifies, um, man, how do I describe it without using the, the words that have been, you know, uh, trans rights, what's another way of, you know, solidifying, uh, you know, effeminacy or cross-dressing or yeah. gender confusion. Um, it's, this is one of the difficulties I have, Hillary, is we're surrounded by all of this usage of these words that have been redefined. Mm-hmm where it's it's hard to remember sometimes what are the actual biblical words for these yeah y you know um anyway that's opening up another can of worms which maybe we've opened <laughs> up enough right yeah now. we've opened up enough for now so 
has, uh, here's a question from Abby Pepper. Has Hillary wrote about her Christian testimony anywhere? Be <laughs> nice to read it if she has. Um, uh, I guess that would defend, that would depend on like how full of a testimony. I would say in chapter one of the Mama Bear book, um, I kind of go through, um, I, I think I kind of go through my testimony in there. So um, it's not, I don't think it goes into all the details. Um, um, I definitely see the way the Lord has changed my life and the way that he has grown me slowly, but surely, even, even if I never had any serious time of rebellion, I see this particular things like um, I grew up in a very theologically rich church. And so I got a lot of good head knowledge. And I feel like when I went out to California uh, for about six years, I feel like I really learned how to worship there. So it's like my testimony has been a series of the Lord putting me in different positions to learn something new and to just kind of add to the richness of my Christian walk. But um, um, I would say if, like if we wanted a real concise kind of uh, what's it called? Um, testimony that would be in chapter one of the mama bear book. Oh, yeah. and I actually, you know what? Um, I don't know how much of this I give chapter, uh, the, the 50th podcast episode for mama bear. Uh, we went ahead and did an interview with me cause I'd interviewed a whole bunch of other people. So we're like, let's, let's interview me. Um, so I think I have some of it on there as well. Awesome. Hillary, what are some next steps? Maybe what's just one next step that believers who are listening to this and are realizing man, I, I, I want to do something. I, I feel the need to do something. I, you know, in your book, you mentioned even, um, which of your views does it make you uncomfortable to share? Mm -hmm. Even And I know that you and I have said some things on this podcast that have made even rock solid Bible believing Christians feel like, Oh, I can't believe they just said that. <laughs> Who's listening to this? Um, but that's, that should be a big red flag that we yep. need to do something. So mm. what's one step that we can take after we turn off this podcast, turn off this video, go back out there in the world, especially for the mama bears who are listening. I know there are you, 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 your mama bears came out in force today. There's a lot of you watching. I know that. So go mama bears. yeah, what's, what's one next step? Um, I would say there, the, there's, there's one, one main one. And that is, and I, I give this in several different talks to anywhere from science to doubt to everything is that that's learning how to recognize buzzwords. A lot of times buzzwords are the ones that are being linguistically thefted. Um, because what you need to realize if someone says, oh, that's, um, you know, um, oh golly, where's you know, saying, oh, that was racist or that was sexist or that was homophobic or that was transphobic. These are labels. These are not information. Know the difference between labels and information. I want to say this over and over again. Labels are not information. Labels are not information. Labels are not information. Um, when you see something that's labeled, immediately ask yourself what happened. Immediately ask somebody else what happened. Because when you see a label without information, that's someone who's trying to disguise what actually went on and just give it a label. And they give it the label that everyone agrees with. Um, it's like, well, I mean, I'm sure there's white supremacists out there and KKK weirdos. Them aside, I'm going to say the normal American is very against racism, very against sexism, is mm -hmm. very against, um, you know, discrimination based on anything. Mm -hmm. And so if that's the only word that you're using, they're getting people to say, right on. Yeah, you're right. You know, champion. But if they have not get, given information of what actually happened, do not jump on the bandwagon and instead ask questions. What happened? What was said? And teach your kids to recognize these as well, because that way, when they are called names, 
they can say, oh, I, I'm sorry if I gave that impression. What did I do that gave, you know, that gave that? If the person cannot say anything specific that you did that made you one of these horrible names, maybe time to let that one roll off your back and say, well, I would be very willing to repent. I'm so sorry it came off like that, but I, I can't change that what I don't know. And if you can tell me what it is that I did that was like that, then, you know, I can see if I can make it better. But if they describe something where you're just talking about a difference in political opinion, well, I don't, I don't understand. How is a difference in political opinion, you know, racist or sexist or homophobic or transphobic? Um, if we can recognize those buzzwords, I think that that is like 90% of the battle right there. And then asking people to clarify what they mean. Those two things will get a long way. Man, yeah, that's good. Just uh, one more quick comment from Donna Flenke. She says, I'm in a home birth group that doesn't allow you to address people mm. as mama or ladies because some people don't identify as such. Also, it's not breastfeeding, it's chest feeding. So uh, Hillary, I, did, I bet you didn't know that Mama Bear Apologetics itself, you're on the verge of a hate crime just with the title of your, of your book. I know you're kidding, but I can't even tell you how much this has actually been weighing on me lately that really? I keep I keep hearing it, not necessarily with Mama Bear, but just the stuff that we're, you know, that we're coming out with. I am very aware hmm. that I if they if hate crime laws go through, I could very easily be charged with hate crimes within the next five years. So I'm just kind of getting prepared that if I need to do prison ministry, I'll go for it. Um, I yeah. can't I can't let the fear of things uh you know, change what I do. And I, I'm not going to go out and be obnoxious for the gospel. It's like, I'm still going to try to be winsome and loving and stuff, but I am actually very aware um, that a lot of what we do is going to start being um, labeled as hate crimes. In fact, I, I can even, uh, when we put out our statement of faith on the mama bear uh, website, I used to have, um, I used to have um, uh, a spot for reviews on the Facebook page. And there was another group called the mama bears or something. And they were mama bears of LGBTQ kids in the church, um, kind of fighting for a place for their children, which I think we sh should support our children. I'm not sure if I agree the way that they're going about that, but I can affirm the heart behind it. Um, but when our statement of faith came out, it didn't say anything about sexuality, but it did talk about the inerrancy of scripture. And it was clear that we take, take conservative view. They had their entire group start leaving, um, uh, reviews on Mama Bear saying that we were spreading hate and bigotry and intolerance. Unreal. Um, and so right now it's just hearsay. Right now that's just people, you know, being angry and leaving reviews. But I gotta, I gotta be honest. The time is coming soon, where if we, if we criminalize hate speech, then Mama Bear could be on the chopping block. And you know what? So pray for, pray for us as we continue to speak truth, despite what's going to happen from that. Yeah. Yeah, it really does clarify things, though, doesn't it? I've, mm -hmm. I've thought a lot about that myself, just being out there and, you know, having a, a platform. And look, if, if, if you hold to what Scripture says, depending on, you're going to stand strong, but the current around you is going to change in all kinds of directions. Yeah. You know, so 100 years ago, you're going to say, hey, uh, black people and white people are totally equal in God's eyes. And uh, we're all sinners in need of forgiveness. And when we come to Jesus, the ground is level at the foot of the cross and your skin color or your wealth doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. And people would say, how could you say that? That's, you know, how could you possibly elevate, you know, the, uh, the under the, uh, the, the lesser races and all this stuff, all that. And we'd say, well, because the Bible does it today. Mm -hmm. The funny thing is, you know, today you say the same thing and you get attacked from the other side. Yeah. You, it's so 
what can we do except for stand on God's word? Yeah. And, uh, and Hey, our future is certain. I know you believe this. Um, this life is temporary anyway. Yep. Absolutely. uh, (laughs) If I did not believe that any systematic theology you go through, if it does not talk about eternity, it misses the whole point. I just have to throw that out there. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Well, um, Hillary, how can folks get in touch with you, follow your work? Where can they go? Uh, a couple different things. So, of course, the Mama Bear Apologetics book, always recommend that. Uh, we do have a study guide that's in the works that should be released, um, I think, in February. Um, so that's a way to do things. Um, we always encourage people maybe to uh, go to Patreon to help support because, you know, unlike what people think, we are not rolling in it and we do not make any kind of even remotely normal salary. If you can even call what we do a salary, it's like 6000 a year. <laughs> that. Um, and, uh, so just any kind of financial support would be helpful. Um, I would say, and this is one of the things I would like to emphasize. So you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and and Instagram. However, I want to say probably one of the best things you can do is sign up for the email list because, um, again, we are, we've literally had mama bears, people on our page be emailed by Facebook to ask them, what kind of stuff is going on in this page? Do you agree with the things that are being said on this page? Do you feel uncomfortable by things on this page? So, uh, and they've contacted me and be like, oh, I just got this, this survey. So just letting you know, um, we might have a limited amount of time that we can be on social media. So if you could sign up for the email list, you'll be caught up with uh, any kind of new blogs, any kind of new podcasts that we have going on. Um, stuff like that. So I would say, you know, we send, I think maybe once a week, you know, just, you know, what did we do this week kind of stuff. Um, uh, I would just recommend signing up for that. Um, you can follow us on the yeah the blog and the podcast, and uh, we're working on another book right now. So just um, a lot of prayers for that because uh, it's it's not going to be the topic is going to be difficult. It's a big hornet's nest, <laughs> even worse than the first book. So um, I'm having to pursue that in faith that the Lord, that I'm doing what he's asked me to do. So, but, um, there's just a lot of, um, I'm tempted to fear. I'll just say that I'm tempted to fear sometimes. And I'll be honest about that. So if you could just pray against fear, um, that would be honest. Awesome. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. You know, my wife, Elisa has uh, encouraged me lately with, uh, the true account of John the Baptist who, I mean, talk about sticking his neck out there, you know, literally. Um, But this was a guy who was not afraid to speak the truth. It didn't even cross his mind not to speak the truth. He knew full well that by speaking out, eventually he was going to come back to to get him. And there he is. He's in jail and he's asking Jesus, the one that he was the herald for, if he's truly the Messiah. Yeah. And, And Jesus strengthens him. He goes, look, go back and report to John what you've seen. Look, the the sick are healed. You know, demons are cast out. In other words, uh, uh, John the Baptist himself doubted it. And yet Jesus reaffirmed and reassured him. And one thing Jesus didn't say was, you know, John, you really shouldn't have stuck your your head out there. You know, it's really not worth it, John. You really, you really should have preserved your, if you had been a little more winsome, maybe uh, (laughs) you wouldn't find yourself in this. He said, no, no, you did it. You did it for the right reasons, John. You did. And um, I'd also emphasize that Jesus answers that question not only with evidence, but with the evidence that John values. He knew who he was talking to and he knew what he valued. John knew prophecy. 
and prophecy said that the the, the coming Messiah would heal the blind, um, or you know, uh, give sight to the blind, heal the sick, raise the dead, all those things. So basically, he responds to John personally um, with evidence and evidence that John valued. And so that's why it's important to know who we're talking to, to know what they constitute, what constitutes evidence for them, what they value as evidence and speak to them in their language. Yeah, that's good. As a presuppositionalist, I would say, see, Jesus referred to the word. So, uh, you mm-hmm. know, but you know what? Um, let me just, to all of our listeners, if you have not yet subscribed to the Mama Bear Apologetics, I, man or a woman, dad, mom, or childless, or single, married, doesn't matter. Subscribe to this podcast, because I'll tell you what, it is solid gold. My wife absolutely loves it. I'm about 75% of the way through the book. It's very, very good. A lot of great, great, great nuggets in there. And one of the things I've just been so impressed with is these ladies do not pull their punches. They do not, they do not water things down for the sake of trying to grow their audience. And, and lo and behold, the audience is growing. And so uh, that just goes to show you that, you know, God blesses his word and his word really doesn't return to him void. And, and they're not out there just dropping truth bombs and seeing, you know, where the pieces lie. They're doing it in a way that is constructive. It's biblical and um, it's very, very helpful. So go check that out. And um, Hillary, thank you so much for being on the Think Podcast today. First, if you want to connect with the Think Podcast, simply go to thethink.institute slash podcast, get our entire archive. We've got over 135 episodes on there, something like that. And uh, we're on all the social media. Go check us out. And uh, if you have kids, I'm going to do a shameless plug for my own catechism right now. It's called Catechids. You can get it on the Think Institute website. You can get a PDF for free or you can go to Amazon, pick up a copy for five bucks and uh, start discipling your kids. Lay down a foundation in the biblical worldview. And uh, and you know what? Get that at the same time you get Mama Bear Apologetics and you'll be all set. <laughs> uh, so this has not been... This is not goodbye. This has just been a little pit stop along the way of your spiritual journey. I sure hope that you found something that was helpful. And that's all we have for you today. So until next time, I hope it made you think.